2: Well, welcome back from your weekend. I should say I'm back. I I was gone all last week, briefly in Burlington, Vermont, and then more extensively in Montreal, a place which I like very much and go to a lot. And uh, so just very quickly before we plunge into the show, I should say that um, I don't know if it's ever really been clear to the listeners if you ever picked this up, but sometimes I get a little crabby about Malcolm Gladwell. And in Canada, they actually, as part of their health system, have this device. It looks kind of like, uh, I guess, an MRI or something. And they put you inside it and it actually erases all your reservations about Malcolm Gladwell, who is Canadian. Um, And so I actually did that. And I'm not going to I don't know if it was evident to people in the past that I was cranky about Malcolm Gladwell, but that's no longer the case. And in fact, I was listening to his podcast uh, on the way drive back and my admiration for him began to swell. Uh, like sails in the wind. So that's announcement number one. Announcement number two is that uh, there's a contest called the Prindy Contest, the public radio news directors, and we enter it every year. Uh, We can enter it in three different categories. Uh, And in the past we have, uh, in fairly recent years, we've finished first in the interview category and first in the public service category. So our goal was to finish first in the third category category. Uh, which is Colin show, and so we did we we turned our attention to that this year, and we finished second, but we 're you know it 's not like we have to do sapuku about that I mean we finished second, and i 'm pretty sure w a m u which is washington's massive mammoth public radio station, beat us, and there's there's little shame in that, so but congratulations to everybody who worked on those shows, especially betsy Kaplan, who's just basically it 's just like the Merrill Streep. Of public radio or something, she just wins all these. Her her shows have a remarkable consistency winning Printies anyway, and. I realize printies are not as glamorous as Oscars, but they're what we've got, you know? Uh, okay, so now we're going to get going here, finally. Uh, and we're pretty excited about this. Actually, we've been wanting to, uh, one would even say, angling to get uh, Amy Siskin on our show for a really long time, president of the New Agenda, uh, author of the book The Weekly List, a week by week reckoning of Trump's first year, uh, host of the Weekly List podcast. And I guess, as you would probably even might even construe from all that, uh, the 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 curator of something called the Weekly List, which is, uh, I think, now on week 135, and it follows the Trump presidency and sort of everything that happens in any given week, everything that happens that might be slightly alarming or even massively alarming. And I should say that Amy uh, Siskin will be at the Mark Twain house on Wednesday of this week, uh, and uh, that's between 7 and 8.30 p.m. as part of their Mark My Words series. I'm not sure what you should do if you want to get tickets, but I, I think just calling or somehow contacting the Mark Twain House seems like a really good idea. Don't contact any other humanities nonprofit about this because they won't know. Um, all right, so time to plunge, plunge in. And uh, Amy Siskin, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you for having me. Congratulations to you and Betsy.
2: Yeah, we it's were concerned news. We were concerned you might cancel when you heard it was second place. But... Um, <laughs>
0: It's wonderful. You, Congrats. You, well been, deserved.
2: Okay, you've you've been a great uh, sport to to go along with us, uh, even after we won second place. Let's begin. I actually, you know, Wolfie, I'm going to begin by having you play a two because uh, one of the things that you, Amy, do so well and in such a sort of staggering way is just sort of document all the ways in which the Trump presidency violates basic norms, kind of uh, without hesitation and often quite out in the opening open and without. Any sense of regret? So uh, here's one of the more recent examples of that.
0: Your campaign this time around: if foreigners, if Russia, if China, if someone else offers you information on an opponent, should they accept it or should they call the FBI?
1: I think maybe you do both. I think you might want to listen. I don't. There's nothing wrong with listening. If somebody called from a country, Norway, we have information on your opponent. Oh. I think I'd want to hear it. Do you want that kind of interference in our elections? It's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. If I thought there was something wrong, I'd go maybe to the FBI if I thought there was something wrong.
2: Setting aside the fact that he's mildly obsessed with Norway, because this Norway often comes up out of the blue. It's white.
0: (laughs) It's because they're 97% white. That's That's why Norway came to mind. He uses that with immigration as well. Right. Continually, yes.
2: Well, if you remember the famous instance of the asshole countries. Uh, yes, Several countries yeah, to go yes. to. <laughs> yeah, no, uh Nor, you know, Norway was offered as an example of kind of the opposite kind of thing. It was that was the the thing that he he brought up. So, um, but this is okay. Setting aside whatever amusement we may derive from this, I mean, this this is a pretty remarkable thing. I mean, he's just been through this, you know, he's been through the mill of the Mueller report, which was very much about this whole question. And here he is essentially saying he'd do it all over again.
0: Not essentially saying, yeah, (laughs) I mean, he's been saying all along he has no plans to leave. And the pattern is with him. He's cared about two things since he's taken office, making money and setting himself for that during office and after office and staying in power. And one thing consistently that he does is take steps to make sure that he is not going to leave power. And just as he said that to George Stephanopoulos this weekend, he said that he might be there for more than two terms. Another thing which he repeatedly says, and he believes. Again, this man has no plans to leave, whether he wins or not in 2020 or thereafter. Um, And that's one thing I trace in the list is, the way he looks at, you know, having taken power, and the way he has unilaterally acted to consolidate power over time, and where we sit now, you know, I, we basically have one person deciding our foreign policy and deciding our uh, economic policy, etc. So, he's been remarkably successful because we hear him say these things, we're shocked, and then the next day there's ten more shocking things, and we move on to those things, and there's no consequences or accountability.
2: Right. That is very much one of the impacts. That your the weekly list will have on a person. You're just reading this stuff, even just the stuff for one week, and you're thinking, "Well, this is too much." You know, it's 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 like a pig traveling through a python or something. It's just like too much to digest mm-hmm. here in one week, and then it's not terribly different from week to week. Um, week 122 was probably a lot like week 82. I mean, there's just like so much of this kind of stuff. So, but let's not cooperate with him that much, and let's spend a moment or two more on that that clip of him talking to George Stephanopoulos. I mean, uh, the larger version of the clip, you know, Stephanopoulos says, well, no, the FBI director says you really have to report uh, a, an approach by a foreign power that's offering information relevant to to, to help you or hurt a candidate uh, in, in an election. You have to report that. And he just says, no, he says, no, I, he's not going to do that. And he thinks the FBI director is wrong.
0: <laughs> right. And that was the same day that the chair of the Federal Election Commission actually had to take the unusual step of issuing a statement to say it is illegal, not just wrong, but illegal. And then I just want to remind folks, because we transcribed this in the list, that same day Kellyanne Conway was found for the first time in the history, a senior White House official has been found guilty of violating the Hatch Act repeatedly and recommended she be removed. It was the same day we threatened going to war with Iran again. It was the same day that Sarah Sanders, one of the few remaining members from the original Trump regime, uh, suddenly resigned. So basically, what you have happening, Colin, is every week there are these unusual things, and then we're taking our eye off of other super important stories. Like last week, there were stories relating to Russia expanding their influence into Africa. There are mm-hmm. stories last week about the European Union saying Russia interfered in their parliamentary elections in May. So. that's sort of what I try to capture in the list. And one thing I want to just kind of differ with you a little bit each week, it's getting worse because what (laughs) happens when he gets away with these things Mm -hmm. is he pushes boundaries further and further. I mean, let's talk about how we as citizens have become dull to it. And that's one of the things I think the importance of the list, like if you get the book and read year one, You'll have forgotten. I, the um, book reviewer at the Washington Post who reviewed my book just tweeted at someone who asked about Trump University, like, this is the importance of the list. Because of the things that we have forgotten in the early weeks and normalized, I use a comparison, we are like frogs and water coming to boil. But what he's been able to successfully do, every time he gets away with something, the boundary is pushed further. So he fires Sally Yates, and the country says, that's the end of him, and then it's not the end of him. And then he fires James Comey, and we say, that's the end of him. And it's not the end of him. And then he tries to have his inner circle fire Mueller to end the investigation, which is very well documented in the Mueller report. And then this week he tells George Stephanopoulos that McGahn was lying, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: but
0: he won't let McGahn testify. So, again, it's everything that you can imagine is actually happening. And the alarming thing to me, again, is he has suffered no consequences for it. So he continues to amplify and do these outrageous things that are worse and worse and, and, and unthinkable.
2: Right. You know, speaking of one of the items that you just mentioned from that list, um, that attitude uh, was, I think, expressed um, pretty well uh, by by Kellyanne Conway uh, when she was asked about the fact—we should set this up by saying uh, the Hatch Act dictates the federal employees cannot engage in partisan activities, cannot uh, work for election campaigns while being federal employees. Uh, it's pretty clear that she has done exactly that. Um, Here's—this uh, is the yeah, A3. This is what uh, she had to say about it.
1: I'm the Office of Special Counsel, which says... I don't really care. Listen. Right. Blah, blah, listen. candidates in the Alabama right. Blah, blah, Okay. Right. I'm sorry, are you talking about something from a year and a half ago? Do you have Do you have a relevant question for today? Because I'm happy to answer today. So if you're trying to silence me through the Hatch Act, it's not going to work. I'm
2: not trying to silence you. The Office of Special so Counsel and, uh, said you violated is, uh, is one
0: more a standalone case or, two, or should we expect... Let a me know case? when the jail
1: sentence starts.
2: So blah, blah, blah is one of her responses, and let me know when the jail sentence starts. And that's a little bit like the motto of the Trump administration about a lot of this stuff, which is, you know, if we did anything bad, how come we're not in jail? Blah, blah, blah.
0: Right. And they continue to get away with it. And again, I just want to say again that this is the first time in our country's history that a senior White House official has been recommended by the Watchdog Group, the Office of Special Counsel, um, that they be you know, that they stepped down. And not only did she not step down, she thumbed her nose. And the next day, Trump went on Fox and Friends and said, Kellyanne, Conway's terrific. So they're irreverent towards any sort of authority. And it manifests itself not only in sort of it being a lawless regime and them feeling they can do anything they want. Um, You know, there's a record number of people that are acting secretaries running our executive branch or we have unstaffed positions. But then you have Trump sort of you know thumbing his nose completely at checks and balances by not providing information, but also in how he's acting. There was an alarming article last week about how he has Um, basically morphed our national and economic interests uh, into one. And why is he doing that? Because it allows him, when he imposes these tariffs, not to need congressional approval because he says it's a national security issue. And he's using acts from the Cold War, from 1962, from 1977, to avoid having to go through Congress, just as he did with his wall when he didn't get his way. He said there was a national security threat, and went around Congress. So in his mind, you know, the, there is no check and balance. And from a practical standpoint, there really hasn't been a check and balance. You know, we. One of the things that I, when I had done my initial book tour last year, said it was so important that we put a check on him and and put a majority in the House, which we did successfully. Do we took forty seats, possibly forty one if we win North Carolina, but now you know, uh, we're coming to the next election. And and this is something I definitely want to talk about and make your, you, you know, we, you opened up with a story about him you know, accepting foreign help,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which he says publicly. Yeah. Uh, and Russia is still here. He's going to accept foreign help. So count on that. Count on him if he wins, trying to get rid of the 22nd Amendment and stacking the Supreme Court to do that and to end term limits. Count on him because he's told you this week that Richard Nixon left, but he's not going to leave. And Michael Cohen, his close aide, said Trump won't leave if the election is close. And even Speaker Pelosi has acknowledged he won't leave if the election is close. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm pointing out all these things because people are counting on Democratic norms to save us. And thus far, the system, as it has been working in the past, is not working with Trump. And so that should alarm everybody and we shouldn't be relying on a norm like an election that he'll leave if it's closed, for example, or that the election when we wake up November 4th and we found out that Russia had hacked machines like they did in 21 states in 2016, that they didn't hack machines again. And then what are we going to do about it after? So it's so important that we have some accountability ahead of that election.
2: So uh, to you, Amy Siskin, what is accountability? I mean, we're in the, the Democratic parties in the middle of a debate right now about whether you just tried to beat him in the election or do you try to uh, impeach him now? Um, uh, I don't know if those are the only two choices uh, in your mind, but, but w- what amounts to accountability here in, in June of 2019?
0: So first of all, about 3% of the population I've read in polls has read or listened to the Mueller report. Mm-hmm. I encourage everybody, if, if you don't have time to read it, to listen. There's an audible version for free. It's 19 hours. You can do an hour a day. But the things in that report, he needs to be held to account. There, there needs to be a talk of all these evidence of obstruction of justice and what happened, because the fact that it's not has normalized it and will allow it to happen again in 2020. And I just wanted to emphasize, because... Uh, you know, it, it, I sort of feel like through my work, I've always been like six to 12 months ahead of trends because I'm in the trenches every day with him for 135 weeks. Mm-hmm. He does not plan to leave in 2020 if it's close. I mean, again, Cohen has told you, Pelosi has told you, um, we're gonna wake up on the morning of November 4th, 2020 if this election is close or if it was interfered with and there's gonna be nothing we can do. So we have to do everything we can do ahead of that. And that means public hearings. Now, if Congress cannot get McGann, Robert Mueller, um Attorney General William Barr to testify, then they need to have impeachment inquiry in order to bring them forward and have the public hear what happened. I mean, again, while I would love to know, think that everyone in your audience has read or listened to the Mueller report, I can tell you my most educated friends have not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the only way it's going to happen is if we see these people in front of us on the TV screen um, explaining what happened, including Robert Mueller, uh, because we we let Barr shape the narrative. Um, and even if people now don't believe, you know, the polls show that people do not believe that Trump did not commit a crime. We need to hear about this firsthand. We need to hear about what they tried to do in our democracy. We need to hear about the way Trump's, while in office, worked to obstruct justice, the 10 examples of it in the Mueller report. It needs to be spoon-fed spoon to the American people. And while I respect Pelosi's, you know, role as a as the senior person, and we took a lot of seats in purple and red districts. Um, This is something the Judiciary Committee can do, and the rest of our government and the rest of the House committees can move forward on legislation, which, by the way, Rich McConnell isn't going to pick up anyway, (laughs) but at least they can show that we are moving forward, as promised, on the issues that the American people care about. But the House Judiciary Committee, where there's 24 members and – I believe either 13 or 14 of those 24 now are for impeachment. Mm -hmm. They need to be set for, Nadler needs to start impeachment inquiry. Now, if we find through it that there isn't enough evidence for impeachment articles, then it stops there. You've at least educated and brought to light what happened to put some pressure on it not to happen again, because where we sit here today, Trump is going to be meeting with Putin at the G20 at the end of the month. I assure you it will be one on one. Mm-hmm, and there yes. will be no record of it because he's gotten away with it every other time. There is nothing stopping Russia, Saudi Arabia, any of the other countries that are sort of friendly to him because they're getting great recompense great in, in return, that they won't interfere with our election. They want to hurt our country. They want us to be weaker. So expect that. It's happening right in front of us as we speak you know any of us who are on social media see the trolls attacking and the fake accounts so believe it and they'll be much more sophisticated this time about it
2: I, I, one idea you've given me as you've been talking is uh, we need to figure out how to sync the audible version uh, of the Mueller report up to people's Fitbits so you get <laughs> some, you listen to the Mueller report for 30 minutes while you're on the treadmill or something like that, and your Fitbit would sort of validate that somehow, and ultimately exactly. it would be part of a weight loss program and a raising of consciousness. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, one of the I just want to go back to this idea that basically what happens is he does stuff and there's no punishment. So he, you know, he says early in his presidency, you know, that there were 33 to 5 million votes cast illegally. That's completely made up. But there's no real. He doesn't get punished for that. And a certain percentage of people probably just take that as gospel. He fires James Comey. The punishment for that is that the Mueller uh, special counsel office winds up being formed because of that. But, you know, ultimately he's been able to run around claiming exoneration and all this kind of stuff. He he meets with Putin and then he actually denounces and repudiates his own intelligence apparatus and says he's more inclined to, to believe what Putin says to him than his own people. You know, this is like um, these are that's like a jaw dropping moment that has absolutely no consequences for him as, as far as I can tell. And the same thing I would guess is going to happen as a result of the Stephanopoulos interview, which has a yes. number of alarm bells ringing in but especially that one where he says yeah that he that he would probably listen to a foreign government and and as you say i mean actually going back to the 2016 campaign he was asked whether he would accept the results of an election if he lost and he said i think something like i'll leave you in suspense about that or something yes
0: and you'll start to hear that as we get closer and just to follow up on the line of thought you were talking about he said this week that he wouldn't allow our CIA to be spying on Kim Jong-un and North Korea. Yeah. again, siding with a dictator mm-hmm. <laughs> who you know has threatened our country over u s. intelligence. But one thing you touched on, which is super important and also a tool of authoritarians that he's been extremely effective on, is establishing this alternative reality. You know mm-hmm. the first week uh, saying the crowd size of his inauguration was huge. Last week, saying when he was in London, there were no protests, even though there were 75,000 people protesting. He has set up this alternative reality that allows a certain level of cognitive dissonance for his followers to believe, you know, and again, this is a tool that's been used in authoritarianism throughout history that what you're hearing from the media is fake news, that only he is the trustworthy person who tells you information that is true um and you know using for example poll numbers he's fired his pollster because the poll numbers got out all of these things are happening again the consolidation of power the diminishing the media the creating an alternative reality the saying out loud i'm not going to leave after two terms to normalize that concept if we get through 2020 election and he's still there it's gone Mm -hmm. i mean our democracy as we know it is gone He said early in the week, in the early weeks of my list, you know, he sort of assumes he's going to just pass on the presidency to Ivanka or Donald Jr. That is his mindset. And until there is some pushback of any sort, again, he suffered no consequence for any of this stuff. And he'll start doing crazy stuff this week. That's been the pattern in the list that I get to finish it on Saturday before I post it Saturday evening, and the stuff that happened Monday feels like it was two months ago. That happens every single week. We'll forget that he said he would accept illegal information by this week because he'll do more crazy stuff and get away with it. That is, you know, again, in the important point I wanna keep pointing out, it's either repetitive, like saying I'm not gonna leave after two terms, or the nature of it is more aggressive. Um, You know, what's happening at our southern border with not being able to get his the people that he wants in charge of immigration. So finding hardliners and making one an immigration czar and saying another is going to be the acting director of ICE Cuccinelli he's doing what he wants and finding ways to get away with it. And nobody is stopping him. That is why we have to count on our Congress. We worked so hard to get them there. Our House of Representatives needs to hold him accountable and stop you know, going on MSNBC and sending tweets and mean statements. They need to actually hold impeachment hearings. I don't care what they call them. They can call them other things. Um, but these people need to come publicly. Don McGahn, uh, Robert Mueller, the American people need to hear from them. If we go on as business as usual, we're going to wake up November 4th, 2020 in great peril.
1: Yes. So
0: that's my warning. <laughs> you know, Again, expect the unexpected. Don't expect our old norms to save us. None of the old norms have saved us so far.
2: Um, We're talking to Amy Siskin. Um, She's going to be at the Twain House on Wednesday. Um, uh, We're going to take a little break right now. I am actually, based on everything Amy just said, just going to go back to Montreal. But I think Dave DeRoche (laughs) or somebody like that will come in here and finish up the show for me. Uh, No, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more of Amy. All right, we are back. I decided I'll, I'll stay and finish the show, but then I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, Amy Siskin is with us. Uh, she's the president of The New Agenda, uh, author of the book, The Weekly List, a week-by-week reckoning of Trump's first year, host of The Weekly List podcast, maintainer. therefore, of The Weekly List, and she will be at the Mark Twain House on Wednesday uh, of this week, 7 to 8.30 p.m. as part of their Mark My Words series. So, you know, I just want to continue a little bit what you were saying. So, you know, there's a famous line now from the series The Wire in which Omar says, if you come at the king, you best not miss. And and mm-hmm. it, it does seem as though the other hazard here uh, of doing impeachment or something that looks like impeachment but bears a different name is that if it doesn't bring donald trump to heel, we've got another problem right we've got another thing that he has survived successfully and and, and i mean i almost wonder whether a better thing to be doing would be plan- figuring out what it is that the government would have to do between november of 2020 and january of 2021 if he lost the election but seemed unwilling to cooperate with the results what that mechanism is because i i I worry a little bit what happens if he survives an impeachment process.
0: So I I, I don't believe we have a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, the risk is we get to November 2020. Mitch McConnell has said out loud that he does not he plans to block every effort to put in things that will legislation that will keep the election safe. They did that this week, a simple bill that was brought up by um, Mark Warner uh, to say that if a campaign is given foreign information or offered, it has to report it to the FBI. Um, Senator Marsha Blackburn blocked that. So again, Trump's inner circle or his friends who are benefiting from this and the regime are not going to do anything to make our election safe. So I again, you know, you look at it like, well, what's the bigger relative risk? Um, waiting till we wake up November 20th, uh, November 4th, and hoping he'll leave if he loses, um, that he hasn't stacked the courts sufficiently or done sufficient things to raise, as he threatened to do in 2016, um, his followers to do unusual things, offering the coup, talking about the deep state, Again, we don't have any choice, is the way I look at it, then to at least start and to have the American people see what happened. If we don't do that, then all of these things that Mueller found will have been normalized and accepted, not only for Trump, but for anybody else, because there have been no consequences. And then beyond the stuff in the Mueller report, the things that are happening at our southern border, which uh, i catalog in my list every week but get very little attention because we're all living in chaos every day we're breaking laws at our southern border um, you know the amount of people coming in that are being somebody um, a, prof- a college professor um, compared it to a dog pound um, their migrants are being put in cages they're still being separated in families it's you know the atrocities going on at our southern border and other things that are just being allowing to happen. The rights being taken away by the LGBT community, being taken away from women. This is all part of the authoritarian plan. And it's sort of like we're living in the handmaid's tale. um, And we have a chance, one last chance, to do something about it. And that's what the Mueller report and the ability to have public hearings gave us. If we get beyond that, it's a risky strategy, you know, that we're going to count on this election to be fair enough and you know, close enough that he's not close enough that he's going to leave. That's a very risky strategy to just let that go. Although, and if he does win, mm. you can forget it because <laughs> <laughs> then it will be, you know, all hell, then that's a last check and balance on him. Um, so, yes, I mean, what did he do after he lost the midterms? That he fired Jeff Sessions. Mm-hmm. I, put I, in, uh, you know, William Barr, who has basically done everything he wanted him to do.
2: Yes. So one thing that concerns me a little bit, uh, since you mentioned The Handmaid's Tale, is that uh, at least short term, if if Trump were to be successfully impeached, and I don't even know that there's time to do that in between now and the 2020 election, Mm -hmm. but if he were, I mean- I guarantee you that if you sat uh, Mike Pence down and had him watch uh, The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, he would want to know which part of this you thought was dystopian because it all yes. seems pretty good to him. I mean, you know, he's much more the president of Gilead
0: than yes, uh, I, than uh, I would say yeah. Trump is. Yeah, I and I hear that a lot. But and and, and you're also right in your concern that if we don't start impeachment inquiry soon that he'll have successfully done what he wants to do, which is run out the clock. And I, I've been getting that question since I started doing my book tour. And the way I answer it is, yes, Pence is terrible. Uh, we put a check on him by controlling the House, and he's a regular Republican. We might disagree with him on policy, but he is not going to do these the moves that Trump does where he's skirting Congress and doing things that are Atypical to our democracy and chances are he will be challenged if he is the candidate in 2020 by Nikki Haley and John Kasich and a bunch of others. And he he very well may be toppled by his own party before 2020 is sort of how I would see that play out. Um, But I. Trump is is unusual. Like, I get you know I always joke when I when shortly after the election, my son got in the car after school one day and said, I miss Jeb Bush. And I, I said to him, I miss George W. Bush. You know, as much mm-hmm. as I might disagree with them philosophically on on policy, um, they're nothing like Trump in, ter- in terms of the lawlessness, in terms of the corruption, in terms of our foreign policy being basically dictated by where he wants to have Trump properties. I mean, starting with his Muslim ban, which was on places in the Middle East, excuse me, in in, in Africa, the Middle East, these countries where he didn't want to have properties or doesn't have properties. Saudi Arabia wasn't included in the ban, even though they were part of 9-11, because he wants to do business deals with them. So everything is being decided by one person and our government is just not functioning. I think issue number one for all of us has to have to be to get rid of him and some might wanna wait until 2020, I think that's a false hope that the election will be remotely enough fair and or he will leave if it's close. I think that's a false hope. I, you know, And I think our best insurance policy is to get the truth into the light of day. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. We, we need to hear from Robert Mueller, we need to hear from Don McGahn, we need to hear from these people publicly. The, Congress owes it to us to make that information public.
2: Um, Amy Siskin, uh, we there's so much more to talk about, but maybe I will leave some of it there on the table uh, for you to talk about when you're at the Mark Twain House uh, on Wednesday night. There's uh, uh, other things that uh, I would have loved to bring up, bring up, but we're a little bit short on time here, and I don't want you to empty uh, your your quiver uh, anyway. So <laughs> thank you so
0: much for having me. Uh, yeah, thanks
2: for joining us, and, and people should uh, come out and see this uh, in Hartford at the Mark Twain House, seven to eight thirty p.m. Uh, as part of the Mark My Word series. Amy Siskin, thanks for doing this with us. Thank you. And we're going to transition now over to uh, a different topic. And I'm going to say also that um, if you want to do some phone calls towards the end, uh, that might work, particularly about this topic. Let me tell you what it's going to be. Uh, And that is, um, you know, one of the things that has really begun to trouble me even more than it did, I don't know, for years beforehand, over the last year and a half, two years, the whole issue of prosecutorial overreach and ways in which our law enforcement system really misfires, uh, uh, when prosecutors exercise tunnel vision, when relevant evidence is withheld uh, from uh, from a defense uh, team, when jury selection is compromised, uh, I mean, all of this. The idea that we have people who are innocent or, or who did not get a fair trial sitting in our prisons Uh, And I mean, we have this enormous—it's 0.7 of our entire population is incarcerated in one way or another. It really bothers me, Uh, and so it's kind of come up on our and washed up on our own shoes here over the weekend here in Connecticut, uh, in the sense that uh, convictions of two men for a very old murder were uh, set aside and a new trial ordered. Unclear whether the new trial will happen. And and it does appear from the unanimous opinion of the Connecticut State Supreme Court uh, that Henry Lee, the renowned crime scene investigator based in Connecticut, um, did not, in fact, accurately represent the evidence that the prosecution had. And that is the main basis of the overturning of the verdict uh, and the setting aside of the guilty verdict. um, And... Um, Well, anyway, so today uh, Henry Lee had a press conference to talk about how he feels about being thusly rebuked by the state Supreme Court. So we're going to have uh, award-winning journalist Lori Mack on uh, with us in just a second, talk a little bit about this. Is this something that you've got things that you'd like to say? 860-275-7266. I should say, this is not the first time now that uh, Henry Lee's work has been called into question by a judge. 860-275-7266, that would be the number. That you would call, Uh, but we're going to take a break right now and then we'll come back with the famous Lori Mack. All right. I have to make even more announcements because I didn't write them uh, for Wolfie to do. So Kyle and Wolf is on the board today. This uh, show is produced by senior uh, producer and multi-award winner, uh, Bitsy Kaplan. Uh, We have new interns today, Carolyn and Jesse. I'm not at the point where I know their last names yet, but their names are Carolyn and Jesse. And I have to, at the end of the show, I have to go and have my uh, annual conversation with the interns where I explain, don't get off the elevator at the second floor. Don't go to the second floor for any reason whatsoever. There are monkey experiments there, and you can get rage virus, and it happens every year. They ignore me. They go to the second floor. They get bitten by a monkey, and we have another rage virus outbreak. So let's try to make this—let's try to break the pattern, okay, Carolyn, this time. Don't go to the second floor. Um, All right, uh, so time to talk about uh, Henry Lee uh, and time to do that with another uh, award-winning performer here at WNPR, uh, the great journalist Lori Mack, who covers criminal justice for us. Um, so uh, let me just set the stage a little bit here and remind people that Henry Lee has for decades uh, been a well-known crime scene investigator, uh, both uh, for the state police initially and then kind of in private practice as well. He's got uh, a whole uh, school uh, of investigation at the University of New Haven. Um, and his name has come up not only uh, as an investigator for the prosecution in famous cases like the Richard Crafts uh, murder, the so-called woodchipper murder, Uh, But also sometimes working for the defense, like in the O.J. case or the Phil Spector case. Uh, If you've watched uh, the movie The Staircase, you see him there. He's kind of all over the place. Uh, However, he's uh, suffered a pretty significant rebuke. Uh, in the form of a unanimous uh, Connecticut State Supreme Court decision uh, overturning uh, and set, at least setting aside and calling for a new trial uh, in the cases of Sean Henning and Ralph Birch, who were convicted uh, in uh, 1989 for the murder of Everett Carr in New Milford. So, Lori Mack, I don't know if you've ever appeared on our show before as a guest. So this is pretty exciting <laughs> yeah. all by itself. So, let's maybe you could begin by setting the scene for us a little bit today. Obviously, uh, if my work were an my probity were called into question, I would prefer to have a press conference about it in the Colin McEnroe building, uh, Mm because I think that would be sort of a good way to sort of set the tone. There doesn't happen to be any such place. But there is a Henry Lee building, right?
1: That's correct. And that's where the press conference was held. Um, He is trying to set the record straight and protect his reputation. So this morning, he held a press conference to talk about the supreme court's decision and what he essentially said is that it was the lab technicians testimony that was the problem that was inaccurate um this crime happened in 1985 i believe and um the innocence project took over and henry lee had testified according to him. That I'm just looking at my notes. I'm sitting in the car right now. All
2: right. Well, while you're looking at your notes, let me help. Uh, I'll lay a little bit of the groundwork here. So this was a very, very bloody crime. It was, uh, I think, the victim was stab- stabbed something like 27 times in a pretty narrow hallway space. So the, right. the, so the space where the crime took place was a bloodbath. There, were, there was a spatter, uh, a favorite word of Henry Lee's, uh, just all, mm-hmm. o- all over the place. And one of the questions was, uh, and, and this comes up in uh, Justice uh, Richard Palmer, findings in this case, setting aside these verdicts. One of the the burdens on the prosecution was to explain, with so much blood there, why wouldn't there be blood in the car that these two young men at the time supposedly used to get away? Like, where was all the other blood that wasn't there in the hallway? And one of the answers had to do with a towel, uh, a towel that was, in, I believe, in the bathroom of one of the two defendants, uh, which uh, Henry Lee uh, rendered an Opinion about at the trial, so I think that brings you up to to where we are, right?
1: That's right. So what he's being accused of at this point is that what what they've said is the towel was never tested. This is what a lab technician had testified to, but Henry Lee says that's not accurate. That in fact he did test the the towel. He did an on scene investigation. Um, This is this is a field test. This is a presumptive test that is standard practice and what he said was that when he did that test he in fact found something that was positive now with that and could he stressed the word could be blood so he points out that you cannot reach a conclusion based on a presumptive test so at that point you would have to send that evidence to the crime lab lab for confirmation and that's where everything kind of falls apart here. Um, but he, he said it's inaccurate to say that it, he didn't conduct a test. He conducted a field test, but it is supposed to be the lab uh, technicians who tested further. What he points out is that the lab technician, he said he looked at her testimony, and he thinks that the misinformation that caused this whole problem started there that she what she should have said when she testified was that the evidence was submitted um that she should have said that when the evidence was submitted nobody tested it not that the towel was never tested yeah. So that makes
2: sense. yeah. So we should say that what we know about the towel now was that not only did not it not have a so have spots of blood from the crime, it didn't have blood on it. Uh, I think it's now right. been confirmed the, through DNA testing. Whatever's on the towel, it's not blood. It's not a piece of evidence that in any way uh, could be material to to this murder case. Um, and and it did seem that in Richard Palmer's uh, rebuke, Justice Palmer's rebuke. Um, he still he held Lee very specifically accountable he said it it is inarguable that Lee as the representative of the state police forensic laboratory should have known that the bathroom towel had not been tested for blood he like any such witness had an affirmative obligation to review any relevant test reports before testifying so as to reasonably ensure that his testimony would accurately reflect the findings of those uh, tests to conclude otherwise would permit the state to gain a conviction on the basis of false or misleading testimony, even though the error readily could have been avoided if the witness merely had exercised due diligence. Um, And it goes on a bit from there, but I I think Palmer's point is... Don't don't tell us about some lab tech. You went in there and testified under oath about this as the representative of the state. And what you said doesn't really conform with what we now know about that evidence and what you should have known at that moment, too. Uh, it it seemed as though Palmer has anticipated uh, this defense by Lee a little bit. And, and I think Dave Altamari from The Current asked a question or maybe read some of that to Henry Lee today at the press conference.
1: He yeah actually altamari did read that passage and right after he read the passage he asked lee if there were tests done in the lab that he didn't see and lee said no no no." he said you know i'm i'm telling you he said i read the testimony by the connecticut forensic laboratory technician uh i think that was lucinda lopez phelan who testified that the towel was never tested and lee just said you know that's inaccurate he said he did test the towel He said Lopez should have said that the towel after it was submitted to the lab wasn't tested. That was the main message that the test that he conducted and he said he testified that it could have been blood.
2: Right. So um, going forward, and, and I know that was a question asked today at the press conference. I mean, uh, Henry Lee is now 83 years old. Uh, he, I, I should he's say, retired. he's retired. Um, I should say this is not his first time uh, at this particular kind of, of rodeo. Uh, he has been uh, on other occasions. Well, I mean, in the case of the Phil Sp- in the Phil Spector case, he was actually uh, rebuked again by a judge uh, who said that he had withheld material evidence evidence. Uh, Judge uh, Larry Paul Fidler at that time in 2007 ruled that Lee had withheld evidence from prosecutors. At this point, he was consulting for the defense, raising questions about the credibility uh, of Lee as an expert witness. And uh, more recently than that, David Weinberg, another person who had been convicted for a murder right around the same time, actually, in 1984, uh, the murder of Joyce Stockmal. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, was uh, He wasn't cleared. He was uh, a uh, deal was negotiated so that he would only serve time served so far and would be released without being found uh, innocent or even not guilty. Uh, but a lot of it, once again, had to do with Henry Lee's testifo- t- testimony that he well, had. Yeah, go ahead. So
1: Dr., Dr. Lee said, you know, as he opened this press conference today, that he's conducted thousands of investigations in his 57-year career, and he's never been accused of any wrongdoing. That's what he said, or cover up. Or anything like that. So to say that he didn't conduct a test, he said, was totally wrong. Again, yeah. So,
2: but that doesn't really that, that doesn't really hold up. I mean, I mean, David Weinberg is now walking around free right now because, uh, once again, uh, of faulty testimony in in that case, uh, and yeah, and a, and a judge
1: the 1984
2: murder case. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it probably doesn't matter that much. Henry Lee's probably, you know, near the end uh, of his career as a private consulting investigator. But on the other hand, his name is on that building uh, and on that program uh, at the University of New Haven. I mean, it does sort of matter what his reputation is.
1: Yeah, I I would. Clearly, it matters because he he wants to to make sure that everybody gets his side of the story. Um, Lee also said at the very beginning that judge Palmer did the right thing uh, because the the lab scientists found the towel was never tested at the lab. Um, But he, and he started the entire press conference by thanking chief justice Robinson and justice Palmer for their decision and congratulated the defense attorneys who were able to get the decision reversed. So, uh, and he said he sympathizes with the victim's family, but uh, he also pointed out that it's not within his power at this point to continue the investigation into this case. Um, but he wanted to make some quick uh, statements with regard to the latest decision.
2: Looking at the pictures, it seemed like an unusual uh, event there, too. He had a whole bunch of books piled up in front of him, and then he had a screen behind him. It seemed as though he was about to teach you guys a class in crime scene investigation.
1: Oh, yes. He had He had lots of screens that he would show. That he start off with the chronological um, events with the— Date of the homicide, and then you know when that he spent two days at the crime scene, and what they tested for, and then when the lab examination evidence was, and when he testified in court, and then you know ending with the Lopez testifying uh, in in 2015. So yes, yeah, there were lots of books and slides and he was ready to go
2: all right so you may have gotten a course credit out of uh, just covering this today <laughs> you should investigate that see if you can upgrade your transcript he but, even gave us a book oh he did he give you everybody got a book Oh, that's great! Uh, if,
1: if you wanted it, yeah.
2: Yeah. So you know, just at the end, we're almost out of time here. Talking to Lori Mack, our great uh, criminal justice reporter here at W N P R. So you know, at the end of all this, you know, uh, this here's here is a prominent murder verdict, vict- uh, verdict which has been set aside. Possible new trials will happen uh, in the case of both of these men. Um, no, the press is still so acclimated to asking Henry Lee what he thinks about stuff that apparently somebody asked him about the Dulos case before it was over.
1: He did. They did. Yes, they wanted to know what his thoughts were on the Dula's case. That's correct. Uh, I can send you that audio.
2: All right. Uh, well, listen, Lori Mack. Thanks so much for spending time with us uh, today. Uh, and uh, I should say that tomorrow. Um, we've been planning this now. I was away in Montreal, but Betsy Kaplan has been hard at work at this. We decided that the Dulos case, w- which we haven't really covered that much here at WNPR, not the way it gets covered in lots of other commercial outlets, there's a lot there that bears talking about, and we became interested in three specific aspects of it. One of, it is, one of them is just, what does a person like Jennifer Dulos, who's fearful of a husband or an ex-husband do? What you know. What could she have done uh, to change things? We don't really know obviously what happened yet, but I mean she obviously was very fearful for her own safety. So what are the options and what options should there be for somebody like that? That's number one. Uh, number two, um, somebody, well we actually know who, uh, we know exactly who uh, dumped evidence uh, in the north end of Hartford, uh, who somebody was caught on camera uh, uh, dumping evidence, uh, bloody stuff uh, in the north end of Hartford. So, What do people there think about that? Because it almost looks like an attempt by a certain somebody to point in a different direction, to maybe point uh, at uh, a black culprit um, because the North End is essentially an all black neighborhood. Um, uh, And then lastly, this whole question of cameras. There are more cameras, a a piece uh, uh, about New Haven today, but there's more cameras around than you think. And there's a whole command center in Hartford that maintains this camera system that caught these people putting the bloody stuff uh, in garbage cans on the... Uh, on Albany Avenue. So all of that's coming up tomorrow as we actually will plunge into related aspects of this case.